0: Well, well. Welcome back. Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. For those that don't know, my name is Andy Dowling, and thank you very much for tuning in. It's been a couple of months, probably more than that now—two and a half months—since my last episode. A lot's happened. A lot hasn't happened. And um, this episode is a little bit of a catch-up episode. I'll try not to waffle on too much, but if you haven't been listening, To this uh, podcast series for a while, or you know me, you'll know that um, that's a very hard thing for me to do. But I'll try not to uh, get, um, I guess, too off track as I go through everything that's been happening over the last couple of months. Um, First and foremost, uh, for those that haven't heard this podcast before and want to know what it's all about, I suggest you go back and listen to one of the episodes that has um, a guest involved. Um, it's not just me waffling on. You'll get a better uh, sense of what this is all about. Basically, what I'm doing is just finding people uh, near and far, whether it be in the local community, people that I know that I've been friends with for years, um, or just people that interest me, and just having a chat to them. Uh, there's no life hacks. There's no um, sort of you know optimized, um, you know optimized, optimized, optimized. Um, focus with with the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to be a bit rough on this episode. Um, There's no no real purpose to it apart from finding out about people and finding out through conversation. Um, We're in an age now where most people would rather send messages to each other than talk, and I'm certainly one of them, and this podcast is a way for me personally to, I guess, improve my communication better. And um, I hope that since the first episode to now, my uh, communication has been improving. Um, Certainly nowhere near uh, an effective communicator. (laughs) I could certainly be a lot better. So um, that's a big thing for me and I think stories are important as well. So when someone's got something interesting to say, um, it's nice to be able to have that um, that through conversation and, and listen to what people are interested in, what people do, what people have experienced, and even just perspective on life as well, just to find out... You know how how do people view their life? How do they p- people view their life, their lives around them, and the people around them? And um, I'm hoping that the people that do listen in, and I hope that myself as well, uh, learn things from the conversation with other people. So it's very vague, it's very open. Um, more or less, I'm just chatting to people. It's not the most original format going, but um, I like to think over the fifty odd episodes I've done on the past 12 months and wow, I've just realized that it's been over 12 months since the first episode. So it's um, it's pretty cool that I'm still picking up a microphone now, even though there's been a slight delay um, and still doing it. It's good to see I've um, managed to hold on and follow through with this idea that I had, had 12 months ago. Um, this episode is a little bit of a catch up, a bit of housekeeping and get everyone back on track. And for me, just to, I guess, you know, use this podcast platform as an excuse to get a few thoughts out there and I guess document it for myself so I can listen back one day down the track in years to come and see where my mind was at, see what my thoughts were as to what I've experienced, especially having some big um, life moments. For me, I think if anything, it's just something for myself, a little bit of personal reflection. But the cool thing about this is that um, I can share this with others as well. Um, before I dive into it all, um, a few little things I need to mention, more or less some thank yous. Thank you to everybody that's been listening to the podcast, especially over the last two odd months where I haven't been putting out new episodes. I was really paranoid and worried. I actually went through a bit of a <laughs> mental crisis at one point about this podcast and was worried that the listenership would really die down and I would be more or less forgotten as far as a podcast goes, um, just due to not being active and pushing out more episodes. But um, I've been pleasantly surprised when I finally built up the courage to look at my podcast stats that it's been fairly steady. It has dropped a little bit, but um, it's been a hell of a lot better than I thought it would be. So I'm very, very flattered and and, uh, grateful for everybody that's been listening to the episodes and going back and playing catch up or deciding to give it a go for the first time so that's really cool also a massive thanks to people that have been using the amazon portal link on my website so that's andysocial.net very quickly for people that don't know what it is it is a unique link that's been created for me by amazon and what you do is if you do shop on amazon instead of going to amazon.com you can Click on antisocial.net and click on this link that takes you straight to Amazon. Now, what's in it for you? Not much. <laughs> it's mainly for me. Uh, nothing changes with your shopping experience. You don't lose any money. There's no discounts involved, unfortunately. But the really cool thing, at least for me, is that if you do take the time to make that extra couple of clicks to get to the website, you will um, be helping the anti social podcast by Amazon giving me a small commission or a small percentage. And, and it is very, very small. Uh, Of every purchase that you make so for me even though it's a small amount of money it is starting to build up and it is being used to self-fund this podcast so uh, it's not a huge expense for me but I do have monthly fees of hosting and whatnot I bought a bunch of equipment and in future I'd like to be able to have a sort of budget that I can use to be able to improve this podcast whether that be quality um, or it be the content itself and being able to get, get out there and uh, talk to more people. So um, the little extra steps that you guys take will certainly have a massive impact for me. And um, and it, to be honest, it's a good way to donate to the podcast with actually, without actually donating any of your money directly to me. If you uh, want to be sneaky or clever about it, what you can do is go to my website first and do a right-click on the Amazon portal link, uh, just copy the link, and then save that into your favorite it's toolbar on your browser or onto your smartphone so at least then you're not actually going to my website although I definitely encourage you to do so. Uh, But uh, if you want to make it easier for yourself, you can just save that unique affiliate link and paste that into your toolbar. So you can just go to that link each time and not even think about it, just act like you're shopping on Amazon as per normal. But um, a massive thank you for those people that have been using it. It's so cool to see uh, this thing work. I was a little bit um, dubious of, um, of, of the format and how, how it works and whether it's even worth my time. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's certainly been working and it's cool to see, um, see a little bit of money coming back uh, for the podcast. So thank you so much. And for those people that don't shop on Amazon and don't have a great deal of money, that's totally cool. The fact that you're listening to this podcast and giving me a download is... Uh, more than I could ask for. So thank you so much. And if you do want to do anything uh, more than listen, uh, the best thing to do is just spread the word. Word of mouth is the best way of marketing, as everybody has always said. And, um, that, that certainly has a massive impact on, uh, on getting more people to listen to the podcast. And if you want to make it easier, all the episodes are usually, well, not usually, they all are, uploaded onto my YouTube channel, which is, let's see if I can remember this, youtube.com slash C for Charlie slash Andy Dowling one word and everything will be on there now if you're on Facebook and you see uh, you you've liked the um, Andy social podcast page then you'll see all the YouTube links being posted on there fairly regularly so I try and uh, do a few reposts of each episode just to give them uh, plenty of traction and um, that's a great way to get people into the podcast or even just to get an understanding of what podcasts are all about as well Um, you can pass a YouTube link over most people are familiar with YouTube and it's a great way just to ease somebody into the whole world of podcasting or at least for this shows at at the very least. I will leave the rest of the stuff till the end of this episode as far as the podcast itself and what's going on moving forward um, because I think the last couple of months leads up to where I'm at now. So I'm going to try and tell a story. Now, it's not a story that I've put any effort into or any thought. I've more or less wrote out a bunch of sticky notes (laughs) to try and remember in order of uh, sort of key points or key things that uh, happened over the last uh, two and a half odd months. So um, I'll uh, dive into that and uh, just a massive thank you again for everybody listening. And if you do lose interest with this and this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, please go back and listen to some of the other ones with some fantastic guests that I've listened to, um, that I've listened to, well, I actually have listened to because I spoke to them, That <laughs> I've spoken to uh, over the last 12 months. There's... Everyone from musicians to, geez, uh, professor. I've got a professor on there. I've got um, ex-military. I've got pilots. I've got so many people on there from many different walks of life, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to broaden that spectrum more in the future as well. So let's take a step back. Two and a half months ago, roughly, I was uh, getting ready to get married. Now, for those that have listened to the previous podcast where I did a bit of a life update, you will know where my head was at and where things were going at that point in time. And I was about a week out from my wedding and and, um, doing a bit of reflection, then trying to, I guess, centre myself before my big day, and it certainly was a big day. It's funny listening to people and having listened to people over the years, and certainly leading up to my own wedding, where when I told people I was getting married, I would get comments like, "Make sure you stay in the moment. You know, the day goes so quickly that you'll you won't realise what's going on. You're it's overwhelming. Make sure you really embrace it and and um, and take in what's happening around you. You know, it's it's a day for you and and um, and comments like that, and also um, other comments which I. I got in theory but didn't really believe was this will be the best day of your life. Now, upon reflection of my wedding day, which I'll get into, I have to say that it's all true, uh, at least for me. And maybe I've been prepped to think a certain way and be mentally prepared to, to believe these things, but um, I certainly understand why people say that and I get it. The day went so quickly. Before I knew it, um, it was over. We were leaving the venue and I had no idea what had just happened over the last several hours. Um, it was just it was an environment where you was, your senses were constantly being tested and not tested, I mean, in a challenging way, just in the sense that, you know, you were constantly hearing, seeing things, you were having to interact, you were having to pay attention Uh, so many people to talk to and converse with and making sure that you're aware of the situation, the people around you and trying not to miss people as well. Um, Really, for me, in my head, not so much that I was trying to make it special for me, but I was trying to make it special for other people. and I was really making sure that I was getting around and talking to people and really sort of I guess being thankful and sh- showing my gratitude. Sometimes I'm not very good at doing this, but I did my best to try and show my gratitude for people uh, making the effort to come to my wedding. By the end of the day, I was so exhausted because I'd constantly been on switched on for the day. And, um, I certainly wasn't used to that, at least to that velocity for that length of time. And it certainly was the best day of my life. Um, I, Apart from a couple of little things that in hindsight don't really matter, but um, and I'll get to them in a moment, it was it was a perfect day. Everything everything went perfectly. Um, there was no hiccups, all the worries that people had about things that potentially could go wrong didn't go wrong. Um, even things such as the weather, the weather looked horrible with the week leading up to to our wedding and right up to the day before and the next morning, the skies parted and we had a beautiful day and there was only a little bit of rain in the afternoon, but, um, by that stage, it didn't matter because we, we didn't need the weather <laughs> at all. So we were incredibly lucky with everything. Everybody appeared to have a great time. Um, it was just a great atmosphere. People were so happy and it was just such a unique Well, of course it's unique because I've never been married before and I hope that I'm never married again. (laughs) But it was such a unique environment to be in, being on the other side of the fence. I've been to plenty of weddings before and quite frankly, I don't enjoy them and I I still think that way. Um, I've got a few weddings coming up now and I'm happy for the bride and groom and and I'm sure it's going to be a great day for them, but it's just something that I just can't get into. There's just too many things there that irk me and, uh, are awkward and whatnot, and um, and I'm sure I, once I actually do go to the next wedding, I'll probably have a bit more of a better perspective the whole thing. But, um, yeah, it's I think my opinion overall won't shift terribly much. But being on the other side of the fence and being the married couple um, is certainly a completely different experience, and I can understand why people um, have so much joy and happiness on their wedding day and, and why so many people reflect with so much happiness and joy when they think about and talk about their wedding as well. I get it now. I I understand why. So what many of you will remember is leading up to my wedding, I had a dilemma. I had, um, a wedding suit that didn't fit. (laughs) I, I bought, uh, wedding suits for myself and my two groomsmen and uh, we went and got them altered. Now I made the mistake of not including Jessica or at least a female to come along and just oversee the measurements and uh, for the alterations. I just thought this is going to be a boy's day out. We're going to go and uh, get the suits uh, altered and then we're going to go and have a drink afterwards. And so out of my stubbornness that came back and bit me on the ass. So what had happened was, uh, my two groomsmen, Mark and Tonchi, their suits were fine, no issues whatsoever. But for me, she just brought that jacket in too much. So I had, stro- I had a struggle trying to get it on and get it buttoned up. So either she'd brought it in too much or I had ballooned out since the alteration was done. So I gave myself a challenge at the time because everyone was panicking as everybody does when it comes to a wedding and we're getting quite close to the wedding day itself. Um, There's talk about just ditching the suit and getting a brand new one, which me being a complete tight ass didn't want to do. And, uh, and quite frankly, clothes shopping gives me a heart attack. Um, there There is no anxiety like clothes shopping for me. So um, I wanted to do everything possible to avoid that and uh, to really demonstrate The extremes that I'll go to, I decided to give myself a fitness challenge for 28 days, which is what I had, um, to lose a bit of weight around the midsection to fit into my suit jacket. So on my YouTube channel, I started doing videos. Um, I started doing, uh, morning and evening videos of, uh, my morning jogs, evening jogs, little updates here and there. Um, I did lose momentum a couple of times and didn't get daily videos up, but more or less I stuck to it, and I did lose some weight. Um, I would say overall it was a success because I did fit into the suit jacket, although a little tight still, but I actually could do it up and um, and look, it, it 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 did its job, so it was fine. But um, the other thing that was tied in with this was I did Dry July. My wedding was at the end of August. And by the end of July, when I realized that I had a dilemma on my hands, I decided, well, I can't start drinking again because this is going to throw me out of whack and my challenge isn't going to work. It's just going to be a waste of, a waste of effort. So I decided to not drink in August as well leading up to my wedding. So this is all great. Um, I was quite surprised with myself. I had some discipline. I was getting up early and going for runs um, and... It was quite rewarding actually, and and there was a lot of things. I think I it helped me with my, I guess, from a mental point of view, it helped me sort of calm down and get some perspective and clarity as to what was happening because uh, life was moving at a million miles an hour. That wasn't just the wedding coming up, but we had uh, we had a US trip coming up for the band playing at Prague Power, and then there was um, a lengthy honeymoon that still needed to be finalised and and uh, yeah, and booked in and whatnot. So there was a lot of things happening and um, including um, the day-to-day grind of work and life and making sure that um, you you keep everything uh, in check. So for me, the the exercise really did wonders for my mental health and keeping me in line and in check. So, you know, I guess it goes without saying, there's definitely a number of uh, positive side effects to and and benefits to um to exercise and that's something I'm definitely going to have to get back into now that I'm back home and and back into the grind of of everyday life. But um, with the alcohol, the day before we decided to hire an, an apartment that was near. The venue, the wedding venue. So myself and my two groomsmen, Mark and Tonchi, um, we stayed there just so we're all together, and it was easy to get to the venue the next day. There was no hassle. Mm-hmm. So what had happened is uh, Tonchi and I met up early in the afternoon, and I thought, well, you know what? It's the day before my wedding. I've been really good. I've I've met my uh, met my goal. And, um, you know, if I have a couple of drinks today, it's not really going to matter. I mean, if it hasn't worked by now, it's not going to work at all. And so Tonchi and I went to the bar that was the pub that was basically next door to the apartment and we just, yeah, we didn't binge drink, but we just steadily drunk for the next eight or so hours. <laughs> so so Mark turned up eventually. Mark Mark doesn't drink anymore. So so he came, came along and um, we had dinner and just chilled out and had a chat and then, and then went back to the apartment and had an early night. We were, I think we were in bed by about 10 o'clock or something like that by the time we got back. But mind you, Tonchi and I started about 2 p.m. So we were pretty happy by the time we got back, but we weren't wasted. Anyway, because I hadn't drunk for two months and went into an eight-hour drinking session, the next morning I was not in a good place. My wedding day. Meeting the stereotype, the typical story of the hungover groom. So, um... I woke up and tried to cleanse myself as best as I could. Didn't quite work. I uh, was certainly in a haze. And then I started getting paranoid going, oh, God, I'm just going to smell like alcohol. It's going to be seeping out of my pores. Doesn't matter how much I brush my teeth and chew gum. It's just I'm Jess is going to smell it and I'm just going to be a mess. And then, uh, and then I decided, well, there's a couple of beers in the fridge. I may as well just do hair of the dog and see what happens. And um, I had one beer and... Um, Luckily that got me back on track and I, after a big breakfast that we had, I was, I was okay. So the the red alert could be, uh, could be turned off and um, I was, I was fine. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system first thing in the morning. That was for sure. So with the wedding day itself, uh, we had 150 guests by, I guess, Italian standards. Um, My now wife being of Italian background, not myself. 150 is quite modest and I'm extremely thankful that we only had 150, but it did mean that a lot of people couldn't come. So I know that there'll be people that are listening to this that uh, didn't get an invite. Um, There were many friends of mine over the years and important people in my life that um, didn't, didn't get an invitation to come. Now it wasn't because... They were not worthy to be there to the wedding. Um, I think every person that has been married will be able to relate to this situation. And um, it was just simply we couldn't afford it. It was just way too many people. So we really had to be careful with the 150 that we picked. And those people were picked for certain reasons. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that couldn't make it or we we couldn't invite. So we were very thankful for the people that did come. We had family. My family are from Queensland. Jess's are all from Sydney. So we had um, people coming from Queensland, including a lot of um, old school friends of mine, people that I've known for years, friends that have come up from Victoria, an old school friend that came from Western Australia. I had people coming from almost every corner of the country, which was fantastic. I also had some great friends come from Japan as well. So we had uh, Issei Honda, and uh, Yuki come along as well. I say you say Honda in full because I just love his surname and I always call him Honda-san. But um, it was amazing for them to just pay the amount of money that they would have had to have paid to come to Australia for a wedding and they were literally there for the weekend. The Japanese, unfortunately, don't get a lot of time off and they have to do a bit of wheeling and dealing with their uh, employers to get time um, So, and we invited quite a few friends from Japan But um, many of them couldn't come, which was completely reasonable and understanding. But um, we were absolutely blown away that uh, Yuki and and Honda were able to to come and they had an amazing time. And um, it was great to see them meet our families and our friends. And um, I think a lot of new friendships were formed that night, which was really cool. The ceremony itself, we didn't have it at a church mainly because I'm stubborn and I'd be a complete hypocrite if I found myself in a church getting married because I'm just not of any religious faith. Um, so we had it done in a uh, at the reception venue as a ceremony. So we had a celebrant there. It was a really, really nice day. Um, everything was beautifully set up, lots of flowers and, I don't know, the usual stuff that's set up at a wedding. You guys will know what that, what that all is. And... Yeah, we, we went through the ceremony. It was a very quick one, no fuss, but um, very very um, touching and overwhelming for me. I remember as a kid, I used to watch um, uh, Funny Home videos, watch all the wedding videos of the grooms throwing up or fainting or whatever at the altar. And even our celebrant had warned me because we were doing our own vows and I was determined that I was gonna say my own. And I had a very strict warning that I needed to not let my ego get in front of me, more or less, uh, because on the day it's very different and even the most confident of people struggle to compose themselves on such a day. Now, I, I took that with a grain of salt and, uh, and I didn't think I really would have any issues whatsoever, but um, standing there at, well, there's no altar, but standing there waiting for, for Jess to arrive... I definitely felt a sense of panic. Uh, my legs would, well, they felt like jelly and uh, my heart was just about to burst out of my chest. I just, I had never felt uh, nerves like that ever before, not, not the way that I did on that day. So I was quite surprised with how I reacted to it. And um, I guess standing there with, you know, 150 odd people sitting and standing all looking at me, um, waiting for somebody to arrive. I guess maybe it's the anticipation that gets you. Maybe it's the fact that you're standing there waiting. I think that's probably the real torture of it all. It's probably not so much that you're standing there in front of people because I generally don't have a real issue with standing in front of people and talking. It's more of that anticipation of standing there and waiting waiting and um, and just didn't arrive fashionably late, or not that I can remember anyway. But uh, that that period of time just standing there waiting for it to all to all kick off was, um, I think that was the real killer. That was the that was when I was uh, really starting to to get dry in the mouth and try and find some water and try and keep myself hydrated. And, uh, yeah, so it was, I was very surprised and taken back by that for the vows themselves. I had written them out on a really shitty scrap piece of paper, but luckily our celebrant had already had a copy of my vows and, um, and had a nice little laminated piece of paper. So I used that, which looked a hell of a lot better. And I'm sure there wouldn't have been as many, uh, eyebrows raised if I ripped out a a horrible scrap piece of paper from my pocket. But um, everything went well. We didn't really stumble through any of it. I think um, it, from at least my perspective, from what I can remember, because it is pretty hazy now. It went really well, and it was it was it was probably one of the only moments where I was totally in the moment. And I struggle with this all the time. I'm always thinking about the next things, worrying about what's going next. Has something else been organized? Who's where? And, and you know, is someone going to be ready to press the next thing or do the next step or whatever it is. But I was totally in the moment and I was fixated on Jess And I was listening, you know, attentively to our celebrant and it was just, um, I was just amazed at myself at the way that I reacted to the whole thing. I guess just you can't really pick it really until you're there in the moment. So it was really cool. A quick mention with the ceremony itself, for the people that did come and are listening to the podcast, um, if anybody's curious as to the music that we used for the ceremony, we picked a pianist by the name of Nicholas McCarthy. I actually discovered him from the Tim Ferriss podcast. We both did actually. We both listened to the episode with him individually, and we just both happened to mention him in passing. And luckily, you know, it ticked the boxes. But um, he's a pianist from the UK that was born with one hand. Um, and listening to his um, his music, you wouldn't you wouldn't know. You wouldn't pick it. It's quite incredible. And the That was the music that we used for when the guests arrived, when uh, Jess walked down the aisle, when we signed all the uh, documents, and um, actually that was it. So we had three different pieces of music that we used for those particular sections of the ceremony. The um, last song that we used on the way out after the ceremony had ended was Joe Satriani's Love Thing. That was a song that, for me... I guess when Crystal Planet came out, so that' had been 97, 98 or something like that. And me being a teenager, that song, for whatever reason, every time I listened to it, I got goosebumps. It was just an incredibly cool track, and I've always been a big Satriani fan. And um, I don't know, I just always – not that I consciously thought that I would have it for my wedding, but I always thought that this was a kind of wedding song – so when I was going through the painstaking uh, process of picking music for the entire wedding, when I, when I came across that song, it just it clicked and I said, I have to have it in there. So Jess was cool and I was very lucky that Jess was happy with the song and, and wanted it in there as well. So um, it was a nice little touch to have a bit of, I guess, a bit of me or a bit of us um, in the ceremony itself, you know, I mean, a pianist is really nice and whatnot, but it's not; it doesn't correctly reflect us so much. But the Satriani track was a nice ending to the ceremony itself. I guess just a little bit of uh, context of why I picked um, these songs themselves. Um, going to weddings over the years, I always always had a cringe moment when I heard music being played during the ceremony that had lyrics. I think that's just me, probably more so than anybody else. But when I hear lyrics, I mean, there's a couple of things that happen. A lot of people pick songs because they like the song, but they don't know what the song's about. So for me, maybe it's a little bit OCD, but I'm listening to a song to hear what the song's about. And when a song's talking about something that's got nothing to do about getting married, nothing to do about love, and they're playing it, I sort of just cringe. And I cringe in general, when I hear anybody singing at a wedding, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it, but it just, it's, um, there's, there's a few things in my life that really make me cringe and no doubt I'll touch on them at some stage in the future. But, um, one of them is certainly, um, people singing at weddings, whether it be an actual uh, musician there on the day doing something live and singing or, um, or pre-recorded music. So for me, I struggled so much trying to find a song that picked, and thinking about the lyrics and what would fit and what what didn't. And I didn't actually realise that it was the lyrics and the singing that was the problem initially. I spent so much time going through all the songs that had meant a lot to me, and every time I thought about them in the context of the ceremony, I just I couldn't handle it. I just it was just too much. Like I was almost ruining the song, and then I felt so guilty because because I thought, how can the most important day of our lives ruin? something else that's important to me as well. But then finally it clicked and I realized what the problem was. And I realized that I need, I need music. I need, I need instrumental. I need something without direct interpretation. I need something that creates an atmosphere without words that people can, people have more of an opportunity to embrace the day and the atmosphere without being uh, directed in a certain way through lyrics and, Yes, more than likely I've been w- overthinking this way too much, but this is the, these are the types of things that go through my head and why I get headaches. <laughs> so, but I just for me it just was such a relief to be able to realise that and pick some, some really great pieces of music that just didn't have any singing in it whatsoever. So Nicholas McCarthy was just perfect to really sort of, I guess, give the wedding a bit of formality. And really tie in with the look of the wedding. You know, we didn't go for some sort of rock and roll wedding or anything like that. It wasn't an informal wedding. It was quite formal. We really sort of made an effort to to really sort of tie it in with, you know, I guess, what Jess has always wanted. You know, Jess is like most most uh, women have dreamt of getting married and dreamt of their wedding day since they were a child. So for for us, it was important just to try and try and uh, I guess meet a lot of those things as much as possible. So that. The Nicholas McCarthy stuff sort of set the tone for for the ceremony itself, and then once the ceremony was over, then it was almost like, well, all right, here's a bit of rock music, and here's where the where the the night's going to go afterwards. So on the topic of music, and I'm trying not to jump forward too much, but I know that I do waffle a bit. I spent hours and hours picking songs for the reception. I had to pick a bunch of songs for the wedding entrances for the, uh, for us and our family and uh, bridal party. So um, I had um, just off the top of my head, we had picked Elvis, uh, The Knack, King Diamond, oh, I'm Missing Somebody. Oh, far out. Um, who's the moron that sings Never Gonna Give You Up? That guy. <laughs> and um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but uh, and then Jess and I, Jess and I came out to uh, Kisses Love Gun. So we really, I guess, at that point by the reception, we really wanted to. Um, actually, it wasn't King Diamond, was Merciful Fate? Sorry, I think it was Gypsy or the Oath, no Gypsy. And um, yeah, we just wanted to set the tone for the rest of the night and just that this was this was fun. Now this is something cool. And um, yeah, we both love metal and hard rock, so that's what we're gonna play. So. I had picked five hours worth of music on a USB stick and and pr- primed the DJ beforehand and had it all set up. Now it started off really well. We had Taiketto playing, Noise Works, um, Kiss, boy oh, geez, heaps of different AOR and '80s rock. It was really really cool. And 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 every time a song kicked in, I was looking over at some some of my mates who knew the songs, and you could see them getting excited and looking over and a bit of a thumbs up. And it was it was really cool. But um, about through, halfway through the the reception. Obviously, the DJ wasn't happy with the energy in the room and decided, well, I'm just going to put my own music on. So suddenly he put on a remixed version of, uh, of whatever that, oh, that Grease Lightning song is. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I ha- hate Grease. And I hate musicals. There is That's another thing that I cringed, I cringe at. It's just I, I don't have enough hate in the world <laughs> for these things. And as soon as this thing started up, I just saw red. And about half the room, uh, mainly my friends and some family, looked over at my direction just waiting for me to react. And I sat there for a moment and just went and looked down at the dance floor and, of course... All of my family and Jess's family are starting to get up and dance. And I thought, you know what? No one's dancing to this 80s hard rock stuff. Some of my mates are getting a bit loose and drinking and they're starting to get into it. But more or less, the majority of the room aren't really dancing and whatever. And, look, I don't really care. I'm not – I don't like dancing. I think dancing is – Anyway, it's not me, but I could see people getting up and really enjoying themselves, and that's when I had to pick my battles, and that was a battle that I was not going to fight, and I let it go. And even now, thinking about it and, and talking about it, I still I can feel myself getting tense and feeling hatred for the DJ, and I thought, how dare you decide to dictate which direction this wedding goes? And for the rest of the night, he more or less played his own music. Apart from the uh, exit song, which we had picked, which was, um, halfway to heaven by Europe. And then once we'd left, there was the final song just to get everyone out, which was white snakes. Uh, we wish you well. So that was cool. But, um, for for the second half of the night, most of it was the DJ, uh, making his own stock standard wedding picks. Um, and it was just, it was cringe after cringe. It was just disgusting music but i guess the night is not just about us it's about everybody around us and everybody had a great time and nobody flinched for the most part even my mates that uh big hard rock and metal fans many of them were getting up because they were well and truly sloshed and were um, on the dance floor dancing so i have to say that you know it was uh, yeah, it was, it was good in the end. It was good in the end and I have to just get over it and move on. <laughs> um, also on the topic of music, uh, Jess and I, our bridal dance was um, Journeys When You Love A Woman. That was Jess's pick. She wanted that. So that worked out really well. It was really cool. Um, and we had um, Jess had one with her dad, which was a Billy Joel song, which I can't remember off the top of my head. And, um, and then the first sort of song that got, the bridal party up on the dance floor was um, Ice Houses We Can Get Together, which was, which was really cool. I'm glad that we we had that one in there. So, I mean, you guys all know, and many of you who are musicians or music fans know how important music is. And for me, this was a massive part of the wedding. Um, music's been pretty much the main part of my life for God knows how long. And it was important to have music represented in a particular way for this important day. And um, and while, yeah, at times it was a little bit disappointing with the different changes that were made, but um, but overall I was I was happy that we were able to pick key songs for key moments and it, it meant a lot and it added a lot more to the day. So, yeah, I'm thankful that we're able to do that. Now, the rest of the wedding I'm not going to really sort of touch a lot on. It was just great. Everyone had a great time. We had Grappa on all the tables. So everyone was... Uh, we were worried whether anyone was actually going to bother drinking it, but uh, pretty much the majority of the grappa got drunk and uh, the the uh, results of that were a lot of uh, very red-faced, happy people um, falling all over themselves on the dance floor, which was really cool. But um, everyone had a great time from what I could see. There were so many photos that were taken. Um, it just... You know, the the drinks were flowing and it was just really good. The food was great. Um, the venue was really cool for anyone, I guess, in Sydney that wants to know where we got married. It was at um, La Montage at Lilyfield um, in the inner west, closer to the city, and that was really nice. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that was um, worth mentioning on the wedding day itself. I cannot recall anything in particular. Um, when I was talking about... Um, Near perfect wedding day The other thing that I think is worth mentioning Which is quite funny and humorous Is that in between the ceremony and the reception uh, The bridal party usually goes off And gets their photos taken So we had a photographer for the day Who was taking all of our our proper photos And um, off we went So we went to Centennial Park um, Which was a last minute change We decided that we would go there Um, our photographer had a couple of ideas of photos, so we jumped in our cars and off we went and, um, this particular place at Centennial Park was, was fantastic. It was these large, tall trees that were, it was really sort of shady and dark, but because the day had been overcast in the, well, at least in the afternoon, it was starting to rain. There was a real stormy sort of feel and ambience around the place. So the photos that he took sort of really captured that dramatic um, tone, that dramatic feel to to uh, to the moment. But um, like anything, Centennial Park is a place where people get married and there was another wedding that was taking place that was uh, several hundred metres away from us and it was over a ridge. So you couldn't actually see the wedding, but you could see people falling over the ridge off in the background behind us, nowhere near us. We weren't anywhere near them, but you could see them. So you're like, oh, there's another wedding. So anyway, that was fine. And we're getting some photos done. I'm not intruding. We're nowhere near them. They couldn't see us apart from when they were walking towards the wedding itself. And um, <laughs> at one point, and luckily we were starting to more or less wrap up anyway because it was starting to, starting to rain, um, a massive stretch hummer rocks up. And as it's rocking up, the back window of the stretch hammer opens up and this girl, whether it's the bride or whether it was someone in the bridal party, sticks their whole torso out the window and goes, fuck off, get fucked, this is our wedding, piss off, piss off, and just screaming. Now, she's about 200 metres away from us, so she's not just, you know, yelling from a short distance, she's yelling from quite a fair distance away and extremely loud. So we're laughing and going, Oh geez, we better go. So we started walking and we're like, yep. So we put up our hands, like sort of waves, like, yep, no worries. And then we started walking. And as we're walking back towards the cars, Matt, our photographers, just taking some quick photos as we're walking back. This lady does not give up. She if anything, she gets more abusive from the stretch hammer. She's just going hard. She's just getting more and more vulgar and she's just getting more and more stroppy. And we're just going, what the fuck? And so we're turning around and start. we're starting to get our backs up a little bit. And then, you know, if Belinda, um, Jess's maid of honor, I'm pretty sure she turned around and flipped them the bird and, and um and then we're sort of like yelling back at them and and then everyone's sort of trying to calm each other down so no don't do it don't don't stoop to their level so anyway we're walking back towards the car and then suddenly a park ranger comes out and the park ranger comes towards us and and we're like oh here we go so we started walking but he caught up to us and and uh, our photographer said uh is there a problem he said yes there is and he said do you have a permit and we're like and so we just went no And he said, you need a permit to be here. People pay a lot of money to get married here and you can't just rock up and without a permit and, and just, uh, you know, invade their space. And I said, well, we weren't invading their space. We're nowhere near them. And he said, it doesn't matter. And so he said, you guys don't know any better, but you and pointed out a photographer should know better. So, anyway, we said, look, we're going now. He said, you need to you need to leave the park immediately. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we got into our cars and drove past. Uh, we had to drive past the other wedding party to leave the park grounds, but um, we were in two cars. So, Jess and I were in the, the second car, so we agreed that we would um, just look at each other and laugh like we are having a great time when we drove past and we didn't make eye contact. So, um, not that it was a bad part of the day, but it was, a I guess, a bit disappointing to have – any form of confrontation, but it was humorous. It was so ridiculous that it was funny and we, we definitely made light of it. And, um, and we just felt sorry for the wedding party and also for that person in, in the wedding party, whether that was a bride or not um, that they would get so upset over something like that, that obviously it would have some sort of impact on their, their special day. So, you know, there you go. Um, so yeah, overall it was a fantastic day. Um, just a lot of, I'm just trying to, I was going to say great vibes, but I hate saying that, but I did. So there you go. There's lots of great vibes. (laughs) Um, And it was just a nice day to show some gratitude towards other people. And I hope that um, I was able to express that well with, with the people around me. Um, That night, Jess and I stayed at the Intercontinental in Sydney. We had a really amazing Mercedes Benz. It wasn't even a limo, but it was like a, I don't even know what it was. It was the most incredible car I've been in, but um, anyway, whatever. Um, so we stayed at the Intercontinental that night and then the next morning we had lunch with our parents and then we went to Melbourne for four days. And um, the purpose of this was um, about oh, about 12 months before the wedding, or probably just under 12 months f- before the wedding, um, when we found out that we were playing Prog Power, the band, Was playing prog power, that is. Um, and we worked out what it was. We realized that prog power was literally about a week and a half after the wedding, which would obviously impact any sort of honeymoon. So, yeah, it wasn't the best scenario, and we weren't terribly happy about it as far as the timing, the sequence of events. But you know, nothing could be done, and and you know, we had to sort of compromise, just had to compromise to To let me go and do my thing, and and I had to compromise as well, and try and work out a way around it to to try and find the best possible scenario. Yes, this is all first world problems, but you know it's it's an important day. We want to make sure that you know we 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 make the most of it, and I'm not fleeing to the other side of the world as soon as as soon as we get married either. So we decided that we would do four days in Melbourne straight away, and then. Once I get back, once we get back from Melbourne, I'll go off to the US for a week and a half and then come back and then we'll go to Europe for four and a half, five weeks. So it worked out quite well. So we did four days in Melbourne. Um, It was literally a big lazy fest where we stayed at the Windsor and which was this really nice old school posh hotel and we just spent the four days eating, drinking and me holding Jess's shopping bags. So it was, it was cool just to unwind from, I guess, all the, the tension and, and stress leading up to the wedding and, um, and just not do a great deal. So it was, it was really cool. I, I really enjoyed it. So it was good. And, and I do apologize just to a lot of my Melbourne friends. Um, who I would normally reach out to and um, and organise a catch up of some sort, but um, this is definitely one that we just needed to do our own thing and and just chill out and and lay low. So it was um, it was it was uh, it was a really really good time and uh, and well needed. So um, it worked out quite well. But um, that was it from the wedding side of things. So I'll move on to the next part. So what happened was um, just from. Just to get an understanding of, I guess, the time frame, we got married on the Friday. We went to Melbourne on the Saturday. Uh, we got back to Sydney on the Wednesday evening at about 10:30, and I was back at the airport flying to LA 7 a.m. on the Thursday morning. So um there was literally no time to stop. I actually had to, and I think I mentioned this in the last uh, podcast episode, I had to pack everything for um wedding, Melbourne. And the US, a couple of weeks beforehand, I had to have everything pretty much ready to go. I couldn't just pack after each little stage. So I had to sort of pack everything in advance. I even had another suitcase ready to go with half my stuff ready for Europe as well. So um, I sort of really had to plan ahead and really think ahead of of all the things that were going to happen. Um, So anyway, uh, with the US, so so we flew to LA. um, All of our flights were with Virgin and Delta for those plane buffs who actually care um and uh what we did the whole purpose of this for people that don't know is that we got invited to play prog power usa which is a um annual uh progressive and power metal festival that happens in atlanta georgia every year and um and some of the 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 best bands of of these genres go there and play um this particular year we played we were sharing the stages with bands such as Dragon Force, Blind Guardian, Devon Townsend, Fate and Swarting, um, Spock's Beard, um, uh, uh, Our Mates Vanishing Point. Jeez, um, I can't even remember half of them now. It's just become a blur, but an amazing lineup and it's such a, a pedigree of bands. That we were absolutely blown away that we were invited to, to, um, to play the festival. So we we're going over with the purpose of this now. As um, you will all be aware, um, with the whole visa process, it was such a pain in the ass to, to, to get it all happening. And we're very lucky that we had uh, sponsors and we had uh, Mark from Play America and Milton Um, From infinity concerts, helping us out with um, getting all the visa stuff over the line. But even with their their involvement, there was still a lot for us to do as well. And it's not an easy process. And I've learned that in the last couple of weeks, uh, the U S has increased their visa prices as well. So their visa fees. So it's um, just become that much harder to uh, be a musician and two of the United States, which is a big shame. Um, but uh, with that in mind, we were not able to organize a proper tour. Um, it's just all the documentation, everything had to be done several months in advance. And um, it was just too much going on for us to try and look at other shows. And part of this was to really, I guess, emphasize our debut in the US. We'd never played in the US. Dungeon hadn't, Lord hadn't. And um I think it was quite novelty and quite a momentous occasion to be able to play this festival as our first ever show in the US. So um, for us, it was really to to um, really accent and, and put focus on that debut show, but also to use it as, I guess, a, a, greet, a welcome to our US fans And a bit of an introduction And, and you know, a bit of a promo trip as well Just to show that you know We are here And uh, we exist And uh, for those that have been waiting Here we are And, um, and then hopefully we'll be back uh, Relatively soon as well um, Now just We were a little bit paranoid Or at least I was With um, jet lag And really making sure That we put on a good show So what we decided to do Is that we would do a few days In the US Before we got to Atlanta So um, what we did is we flew to LA and we had a few days in LA. Then we flew to New York and had a few days there. And then we flew to Atlanta for the festival and we were there for the entire festival or four days before flying back home to, to Sydney. So um, just really quickly, I'll put, I'll put some thoughts um, out there with uh, with the U S trip itself and prog power. I'm going to miss heaps of things. I'm going to miss heaps of names. So, disclaimer right away that, um, you know, no one get offended if I, if I miss something crucial, because there's just that been that many things that have happened, um, that I'm, I'm bound to miss something, but, um, LA was cool. I've been to LA a few times now, um, for some of the guys who have been, it's been their first time going there. So, um, I guess their impressions will be very different to mine, but, um, we stayed at a very crummy, crappy, uh, hotel motel at, um, in Hollywood itself, um, which was, I think sort of lived up to the reputation and the atmosphere of, of Hollywood. It's very scummy and sleazy. So it was sort of it was kinda of cool in a way, but um, it was still not the nicest of places, especially coming from, um, staying in like the intercontinental in the Windsor, um, uh, from my wedding <laughs> and going to this, this really scummy hotel, uh, hotel in, in Hollywood. But, um, it was cool. We were there for a couple of days. Um, we went out to Venice beach, um, just, uh, Mark wanted to check out the muscle beach and where, where Arnie, Arnie was back in the eighties or seventies and whatnot. And, um, that was cool. We got to walk around and, and soak up the sun. The, the weather was quite good, although extremely uh, smoggy. Um, so we were, were acting like tourists that day. And uh, we also went to the ESP uh, head office in Hollywood. So we got to meet up with uh, with Chris and uh, some of their A&R guys and uh, some of the dudes in the factory that make uh, some of the custom guitars. So it was really, really cool to, to finally, um, I guess, put – faces to names and, and really meet in for person and shake, shake their hands. And, and, um, and I guess just for us, we're all ESP and Dorsey. So, um, you know, we've got a long history with ESP Japan, um, ESP Australia, and, um, and we have started to build connections with our, our friends in the U S. So, you know, we may, we really want to make sure that we made the effort to go to, to uh, to the head office in in the US and and say hi to them and um, hopefully that's just built um, stronger you know bonds and relationships with these guys and hopefully we you know we'll work together at some point in time in the future or um, at least we'll we've built some or created some more friends that we can uh, we can have a drink with uh, next time we're in town so that's um, that's really cool so we we enjoyed that and it was great to hear some stories and and walk around and, and meet some of the guys that are that are extremely talented um building some incredible guitars so that was really good and a nice little thing for the band to do um we also did the usual sort of hot spots we went and uh you know we saw the hollywood sign we walked up and down the strip we dodged all the crazy people um we went to the rainbow a friend of ours christy came out and, and met us shout out to christy if she's listening and um, we had dinner there and uh, checked out the Lemmy statue, which was kind of weird. It looks like he's in a, a toilet cubicle. I don't really get that, but um, still cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we more, more or less just uh, chilled out. It was very relaxing. We got around and did a few hot spots, um, but just ate and drank and, um, and had a good time um from there we flew from LA to New York uh we had some issues with Delta with our uh, all of our gear um they've changed systems and there was all sorts of issues they were trying to charge us for extra bags and it took about an hour in LA to to finally convince them to go and look at another system and find the the special mentions that um, allow us extra pieces of luggage so all in the end it all worked out but we had the same problem at, in LA in New York and in Atlanta as well. so it was just um, <laughs> it was a never-ending nightmare but by the time we got to Atlanta and we we're having this same conversation we more or less knew exactly what to say um, but it still wasn't an easy process so um, I didn't mind Delta overall like I flew United Airlines the year before. Um, there's, you know, you've got people that are very passionate about either airline. To me, they're more or less the same. Um, I think in future I probably still would stick with Delta just because they're partnered with Virgin and I get some sweet uh, Virgin points for um, for flying with them. So that would be pretty much the only reason. But as far as service reliability, et cetera, et cetera, for all you airline buffs, um, I didn't really pick much of a difference between United and Delta. They were pretty much the same same thing. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we went from LA to New York, um, New York. This is my second time in New York. Um, you know, I'd been there 12 months prior and, um, it's, it's an incredible city. I, I was overwhelmed last year when I went there for the first time and, uh, it was exactly the same this time around as well. The size of Manhattan is just, I can't even wrap my head around it. And, um, we really took advantage of, of our time there this time. I mean, last year when I went, I crammed actually, to be honest, I crammed quite a lot in, in the afternoon that I had in New York. I literally only had, I didn't even have 24 hours there. Um, so I managed to do it quite a bit, but this time we had two and a half days, I think for two days, two full days there. And, um, we really, we really covered a lot of ground. We did a lot. So we, um, just for people that are interested, Um, We checked out the Rockefeller Tower. I can't remember what it's called, a particular tower. Um, Everyone, all the locals say it's better to go up there than the Empire State Building, so we did that. So there was amazing views of of New York. Um, We did the Staten Island Ferry um, went over and got off at Staten Island and caught the ferry back and obviously passing the Statue of Liberty that way. So that was, uh, actually, there's a, there's a tip for people that haven't been to New York. If you want to go and see the Statue of Liberty, but you don't want to pay a ridiculous amount of money to get on a ferry to go to the island that Statue of Liberty is on, um, just catch a Staten Island ferry and just go from one side to the other. It's free. And you more or less cruise right past it so you can still get some great photos. If you do want to actually go and stand in front of it and go up it and whatever, then different story, but if you're not that keen on it, um the Staten Island ferry is an awesome option to do. So um that was really cool. Um we also went to Central Park. We had a quick walk through a little bit of Central Park. I didn't realize how massive that place is. Um of course we went I went back to the 9/11 Memorial. We we went there, but this is my second time there. Um, I had a bit more of an opportunity to take it in this time, which was good. Um, but it's just such a odd place. It's, you know, for a place that's, that is so intense and has so much baggage attached to it. Um, it's really hard to get into the right headspace for it because you look around and there are selfie sticks everywhere. There's little vendor carts selling nine 11 Memorial memorabilia merchandise, um, and it's just so touristy. It's just ridiculous. There's just people getting selfies, taking photos everywhere. And, look, I don't have any, for me, I mean, you know, I don't have the right to say what's what's appropriate and what's not because I'm not from New York. But I don't think there's anything wrong, so to speak, with just taking the odd photo here and there just to, I guess, you know, memories and just to document it, I guess, and to show other people what what it looks like and, and just, I guess, to try and, I guess, to remember and to pass on to remind people of what, you know, what happened as well. But um, when people are getting selfies, um, yeah, I can, I just, it's just, I don't know, it's so tacky and it seems so disrespectful. And um, it was just a lot of tacky tourists there. And it was just, it was a real shame, but um, I guess that's, you, you can't avoid it, unfortunately. And um, and people are going to make money off it. And I guess that's just life, but um, it was good to go there. It's good just to touch base. And I think that's just something that, I think personally for me and probably everybody should do every time they visit New York is just stop by there just to, just to walk past quickly or whatever, just to, I think it's a, it's a good thing to do. Um, a lot of these things couldn't have happened without, um, our now friend Scott. Um, I say now friend because we didn't know Scott before we met him. Um, except for Tim, uh, Tim had known, uh, Scott who, uh, I think they worked together years and years ago. Uh, and Scott's originally from, uh, from Sydney, so he lives in New York now and uh, works in the IT world and um, is doing quite well. And um, he took some time time out of his busy schedule to basically be a tour guide for us, and he was amazing. Uh, I have massive props for Scott and a massive thank you if he ever listens to this episode. Um, he made a lot of these things happen where we wouldn't have known what to do or how to get there or how to time everything he he also ensured that we found a good place to get coffee which um from my point of view i mainly drink long blacks so it's not so much of a big deal for me like i can just drink stock standard coffee and it's not as um as others would say toilet water but um, for the other guys um it was a different story and they really struggled um the coffee in the u.s unfortunately guys my american friends your coffee's not good at all. And um, there's very few places that, that we can see or that we've come across that had anything remotely um, decent. Um, but Scott managed to find us uh, a tiny little place that was uh, locked away down the bottom of the Rockefeller Center. And I can't remember what it was called off the top of my head. I should have written that down before I recorded this. But um, I've got a feeling blue was in the word. But anyway, it was right down um, on the bottom level of Rockefeller Plaza um, up towards um, some of the toilets or something like that. So uh, very hard. The locals would know where it is, but no one else would. So it was really cool to, to, for Scott to, to take time out and, and really look after us. He, the hospitality was amazing. He really, really took care of us and we're I think we are forever thankful for, for what he did. Um, we stayed in Brooklyn um, during our time in New York. Um, The main reason for that is that accommodation is so expensive in New York. Um, I cannot get my head around how expensive it is. Um, And as a result, I went towards Airbnb to find something. And unfortunately, even for Airbnb, it's ridiculously expensive. But I did manage to find a really, really cool place in Brooklyn. um, And uh, we based ourselves there for, for the three nights that we were we were in New York, I think it was three nights, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night, yep, and, um, and it was awesome. It was just typical Brooklyn, all the stereotypes that you think of from all the movies and everything like that. We were in one of those typical apartment blocks. Um, we are in the top, top floor, and we had this nice little uh, two-bedroom um, unit uh, apartment and I mean, it had everything that we needed. We we're close to the restaurants and um, and bars, and and everything there. there was a little supermarket as well where I got some beer. And it was just it was really cool, and it really felt like we we're living there for a few days instead of s- staying in a in a sterile or scummy hotel. Um, the only other thing I think I've I'm just trying to think of there's something I've missed. Uh, also, um, while we we're in New York, we saw Circus Maximus play. Um, at the studio at Webster Hall. I think I'm getting that right. Um, And we did a little bit of a meetup beforehand, just some of – we've got some New York fans that were going to the show and we thought, well – um, we were originally trying to get onto this show. Um, Milton was trying to help us uh, play this show, but for a, a whole range of different reasons, um, it just couldn't happen. So that was cool. We are happy just to be there anyway. So we decided to do a little meetup beforehand and we had some drinks across the road at uh, at the bar, um, just, yeah, across from the venue. And that was good. We got to meet a lot of people for the first time, um, make friends with some new people as well. And, um and, yeah, we drank a lot of alcohol and it was an extremely messy night. So I'm sure there'll be some video that'll surface at some stage down the track of, of some of those uh some of those moments um the show itself was really cool um although very hazy I don't remember a great deal of it to be honest so I'm not going to really comment um but uh I I don't think I paid for I think I paid for maybe two drinks the entire night so the hospitality of the locals was fantastic um and they certainly made sure that I was feeling very seedy the next morning as well so massive props to all the guys that um that really took the time to say hello and and hang out with us for a bit. It was it was really, really cool. And it was nice to it was nice to be in New York and um and be there as a band, like all of us, and being able to meet people that enjoy our music. It was just a it was a cool feeling and it was a bit of a pinch yourself moment. And hopefully uh, the next time we come back, we'll actually play a show there, and that'll be the next little milestone to to kick over. So that'll be that'll be cool. But um, overall, New York is just such an amazing city. I'd love to take Jess there one one day for for a few days to really sort of soak it up. Um, but I think that's going to be something where we're going to have to save a shitload of money for a long time to really sort of make sure that we have a good time there because it's just not it is not a cheap city at all to be a tourist in. Um, but Nevertheless, we had a great time. Um, so from there, we went to Atlanta. Um, this is the second time that we got to it, that we went to Atlanta on this trip. Um, between LA and New York, we actually had to stop over in Atlanta and get on another plane to go to New York from Atlanta. So um, we had a few different flight changes. Um, so it was almost it was quite ridiculous to be flying into Atlanta um, only to be coming back there in a few days' time afterwards. So. Um, so this was the second time we actually got to the airport there in Atlanta. Um, and we were there for four, uh, five days or five nights or something like that off the top of my head. And, um, we stayed at one of the Marriott's, um, and I'm not going to bother trying to work out which one it is. Cause there's a whole bunch in Atlanta. But we stayed at one of the Marriott's near the venue. That was really cool. And, um, yeah, we were there for Prog power and, um, I'm just trying to think of the best way of um, of covering this because so much happened in the four days of the festival that um, that it's really hard to recall a lot of it. And I had a completely different experience to what I had the first time around. Um, I've been lucky that I was able to go as a fan last year, and then to come this year as a performer, as a musician, to be able to perform at the festival. It was really cool to see both sides and. As a result, I had two very different experiences. Um, This time coming along, we were the first band on the first day. Now, initially, I sort of thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. We might be playing to a very small crowd. It's still great that we're playing the festival and whatnot, and there's a lot of benefits of playing, but I don't know how this crowd's going to go. We were pleasantly surprised. The place was pretty much packed and... um, and we had an amazing show. We played for an hour. Um, one of the benefits of playing Prog pair is that there's no small spots, uh, minimum sets an hour from all the bands. So it was really cool to have a legitimate set and get up there and play for people and give people, especially there's so many people that had come to the festival, people that had come from overseas as well. We had um, some guys come from South America to Atlanta just to see us play as well, which was really cool. Um, So it was good to be able to give a lot of these people um, a real set, a real hour of music instead of coming up and playing for 15 or 20 minutes like some of these festivals give bands, unfortunately. So it was good to really have a legitimate uh, amount of songs to play for people. And we... We had a great set. We had a really good time. Uh, before we started and doing our sound checks, we had some technical difficulties with wireless units, and and um, you know, there was a little bit of teething issues at the last minute. But um, we managed to get it all working, and, um, and we had we had a really good show. I mean, if I am to be ever so modest, um, it was really really good. We had a great time, um, and it was just such a surreal moment to look out into the crowd and recognize people that I'd met last year and recognize people that have been fans for of the band for quite a number of years as well. It was such a, a surreal moment and almost like a, a circle finally connecting again and um, and just completing this this path, this, this whole thing where we've been trying for so many years to come over and play in the US and finally we've done it. And not only have we done it, but we've been able to do it in such a, a way that is just beyond our expectations. And it was just fantastic. Um, as soon as we finished, we had a signing session and um, the signing session went for like double the amount of time that we were um, actually scheduled to, to do it. And it was just amazing to have so many people come up with t-shirts and CDs and posters, um, getting stuff signed and getting photos done. And it was just it was amazing to have so many people say thank you and I've never said thank you so many times in my life as well. It was just such a great moment and, and it, was, um, it was just a nice little nod to get um, after such a long period of time for the band to, to get to this point point. and it was just really, really cool. Um, now, the, the real benefits of playing first on the first day is that it's out of the way. We don't have to worry about preparing and behaving for the rest of the festival, you know, playing on the third or fourth day or whatever it might be. We're first, we play, we play a great set. Um, we get the crowd all pumped up and and excited for the, for the whole festival. And then we pack up our gear, store it away, and then we just enjoy ourselves for the rest of the festival. And it was fantastic. It was, it just, in our eyes, we had the best, best spot in the entire fest. It was really, really cool. Um, now, the subsequent days of the festival, are a extreme blur. Um, however I didn't do as much partying as I did the first year round. Uh, there was only a couple of occasions that, um, I went to the courtyard, which is, um, part of the hotel, the art mall, which is near the venue and it's usually where they have all their main after parties after each night of the festival. And it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a reputation around these after parties in general. It gets a bit crazy. There's lots of booze. Um, and it's just—it's a really, really fun time. Everyone's super happy, and um, and just—I've met some amazing people from last year. Um, just standing around in the courtyard at three o'clock in the morning, having the most ridiculous conversations, and it was just—it's just a fantastic way to connect with people further. Um, this year, I, I only went twice and for a very short period of time. Um, reasons well I don't know Um, there was reasons where I just wasn't feeling it to be honest I wasn't feeling like drinking Um, as far as the guys in my band now more or less you know everybody Mark doesn't drink anymore Um, Tim and Daryl will enjoy a drink but they don't drink a lot and um, it's certainly the dynamics change in the band which is you know what a really, really good thing. Um, we're a lot more well oiled. Um, we are a lot better as a band and we function a lot better as a band with uh, less alcohol going through the band. Um, and as a result, my consumption, I guess over the last 12 months has certainly reduced dramatically as well. And, um, so, and, the other thing was I was really interested in, I guess, trying to connect with people and talk with people and whatnot and um, and sometimes booze just sort of gets in the road of that. So um, I certainly did have a good drink while I was there but um, not to the extent that I did the year before. And um, what I did find that was different to last year, last year I, I flew under the radar a lot more and it was more of a case that I would talk to people and introduce myself and then people would get to know me. This year was a different story because well, not only had I met people last year, so, you know, there was already some connections there, but people, I guess, had seen us play um, or had discovered the band in the last 12 months leading up to the festival. And I just had the case where there was a bunch of people that were um, hanging around and uh, just being very, very um, um, clingy would be the word and, um, and it was just very hard to maintain conversations with people um, and just be able to have, have a normal conversation at times. Uh, many occasions standing there and talking to someone and really, really enjoying a conversation then having somebody walk up that unfortunately might have had too many drinks and just butts into the conversation and just takes over and tries to move me away to for me to... To um, be atten- to have to get their attention, I'm trying to spit this out. And um, look, I can't fault it, and it's definitely first world problems because it's nice to have so many people that um, want to talk to you. So this is definitely not a, a bitching session whatsoever. Um, but and and everyone's got the best intentions as well. There was nobody there that was that was mean or or malicious or anything of the sort. Yeah, everybody was happy and excited and just really. Um, everyone was good natured there, and you can't fault that. And that's one of the the coolest things about this festival is that everybody is super cool. And it is when you go there, it's like a big family. It's just, and I get that even more after this time than I did the first time when that I went. Um, but there were there were times where it was just so hard to to stand there and and have conversations with people, and I almost found myself trying to hide at times <laughs> to avoid people because. It was just, he just got a little bit claustrophobic and, um, yeah. So, um, I did find myself not hanging out as much as I have in the past. Um, especially after, after the shows, I I definitely hung out in the foyer and chatted to a lot of people, um, during the festival itself. But, um, when it came to afterwards, it just, at times it got a bit too much. So, um, I, I went back to the hotel a lot of the nights at a reasonable hour. I was still getting back about two o'clock in the morning or something like that, but it wasn't a five or six o'clock, uh, effort. Like I had the year before. Um, also on that note, um, the last night, um, which is usually the big finale and the and the big party. Um, I didn't say out I slipped away and there's a lot of people I didn't say goodbye to. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I was, um, desperately trying to get all the merchandise uh, sorted and going to the right people and, and uh, shout out to Mike for helping out with, uh, with our vinyl, the leftover vinyl and, and uh, taking that back to New York for us and, um, and just making sure all the money and everything's sorted. But m- more importantly, I had a, I had, um, a hard drive full of um, important files that I'd been given and I had to get them back to the hotel and it was just, I was exhausted and um, I knew what it felt like from the year before to be at Atlanta airport for several hours, hungover with no sleep. It is not a pretty thing. And uh, I've, for whatever reason I had a moment of maturity and clarity where I decided that I did not want to feel like that <laughs> and I decided to to go back to the hotel with uh, with all the stuff and uh, not go back out so um, an apologies for those people I did send a lot of messages out to people just to just to say goodbye and, and thank you and whatnot um, and uh, I certainly would have done it a different way um, I think if I had another, if, if I was to do it again, but um, at that point in time, I just need to get out of there. So, um, but, uh, what a festival, Hey, I mean, if you want to hear more about my thoughts on the festival itself, um, go back and listen to, uh, my, I don't even know what episode it is, but one of the episodes from about a year ago, um, where I reflect on my last trip to the U S there is, um, a lot more insight into how the festival works, um, what it's like and the people that run it. Um, but before I end on that note, um, massive thank you to, um, all of the sponsors. Um, uh, so that's Mike, um, Frank and Laura, Brian, and of course, Milton, Nathan and Glenn for really helping us out and making it all become a reality for us. It's, um, it's, we're incredibly honored and thankful that, um, uh, that you guys have helped it make, uh helped make it happen for us i'm really struggling to talk this morning and um and we'll forever be in your debt and we'll be forever thankful for for what you guys have done and hopefully it won't be the the, the first and last time that um we uh we cross paths again um now moving forward what else do I have here on my post-it notes? I'm going to have to take a photo of these post-it notes because there's just so many. I just had to write them all out just to try and remember things. Um, oh, also, just on Prog Power, really quickly, I, I forgot to mention, um, my music highlights. People are always keen to find out who liked what and whatnot. I didn't get to catch all the bands, unfortunately, but I'd catch the majority of the bands, at least for a song or two. Um, and one band that I walked into just because I just thought I'd watch out of curiosity for a song was Freedom Call. Um, definitely not the, ty- the style of music that I would normally listen to freely, um, but I thought I would just go and watch um, just to see them see them live and I was extremely impressed with them. I was they were an amazingly entertaining band and I found myself standing there for the majority of the set. It was just really really cool and uh yeah, not the the type of music that I would normally gravitate towards. It's a little bit too cheesy for me. It's just really cheesy power metal. Um but it was cool. It was really, really cool. They put on such a good show and um, they've got such great stage banter. Um, they interacted the, with the crowd really, really well. And it was just such an inter- entertaining show. So that was my surprise of the festival. Um, my highlight of the festival was finally seeing Green Carnation play and seeing them play um, Light of Day, Day of Darkness in full. Uh, Mark and I sat up the back. Um, in the seats and just took the whole thing in, and it was just incredible. It was just one of those moments where I bought that CD when I was a teenager, and that that CD was so important to me, um, and got me through a lot when I was when I was a kid um, for various reasons, musically and whatnot. And um, and it was cool to come full circle and finally see this live. And I really made an effort to take it in and really reflect on. On all those years ago and all those years that have passed and where I am now when I was when I was watching, it was a really great moment for me and uh, definitely a highlight. And I was lucky that um, the guys were staying at the same hotel as me and uh, on the last day on the Sunday when we were all leaving to go back to our various corners of the world, um, I quickly went up and just shook their hand and just said thank you. And, um, and it was just nice to, I guess, um, to, to come full circle and not only see them play, but also just to quickly just say thank you to them and, and just leave it at that. I didn't, there was no need to, to do anything more than that. I just I just needed to pass on my thanks to them and it was, it was just nice to do that. It was really cool. So they were my main highlights um, from it. It was great to see Vanishing Point play. It was so cool to, to be there with another Australian band performing and it was good to stand there in the crowd and and watch them so I was standing there with Evan from um, I Fear and Black Majesty and we were watching um watching the guys play it was just it was really good and uh they were enjoying it as much as we were and probably maybe even more so for those that were at the show, you would have seen, especially Chris, um, all smiles and he was, um, I think in near tears of, of joy being on stage and it was just, it was a really cool moment. It was great to see, but, um, yeah, so fantastic festival. And look, if anyone's ever been, uh, tempted to go, I strongly urge you to, um, to spend the money and and get over there, make a, make a trip out of it and go and visit a few sites um, around the country, but um, make sure you stop by Atlanta and go and see the, go and see the prog power festival. It's incredible. I think next year's already sold out anyway, but, um, uh, there might be a few tickets still going, but, um, it's, uh, it's definitely worth going. It's a, a unique experience and it is quite addictive. Um, and before I move on to the next part, the final thing with prog power. Will I go next year? Will I make it a hat trick? Um, I've had some very, very um kind offers that have been made for people to try and help me and even just to go over next year. Um while I won't be accepting any of them because, well, I guess I'm probably a little bit too proud. Um, I will try can't make any promises because there's a lot happening in the new year, but um, look, if I can make it happen, I certainly would um, go back again. I think it's um, just an amazing festival and be great to, to go to the U S with Jess and do a bit of sightseeing and, and also um, go to the festival as well. So we'll, we'll play it by year. And um, if I, if I don't make it back next year for, for mainly financial reasons, then um, I'll certainly be back at the festival at one time or another in the in the future, in the years to come. So um, it certainly won't be the last time that uh, that people will see me there. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a fantastic place and there's no way that I could um, never go back again. All right, now moving forward, um, what I might do actually is I'm watching the time, I might come back and do a part two of this. So I've been crapping on for an hour and a half. This is a long... Long podcast and I waffle. So I'm going to leave it at this for now. Um, I'm going to put the next part two of this up next week and um, I'll record this probably later in the day. It's about 20 past eight in the morning. I'm working from home today. So I've got about 10 or so minutes before I jump into that. So I'm going to move away from this and uh, change hats for a while and I'll record the second part shortly, but um, you guys will hear it in the in the week to come. Um, before I wrap things up really quickly... Um, The usual housekeeping, if you really want to support this podcast, the best way to do it is word of mouth and share those YouTube links around. Get people to listen to a particular episode, especially if they are interested in a particular topic. I've covered quite a range of different interests and topics. Um, So there might be one. Uh, particular thing that appeals to a friend of yours that might uh, uh, enjoy listening to the podcast itself. But um, please spread the word. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those different places I'm using quite frequently, um, any way that you can retweet, like, comment, share, whatever it might be, um, it all helps. It's really, really cool. It means a lot to me and it ensures that the podcast reaches more people as well. Um, If you want to do more, Amazon, you can go to my website, andysocial.net and click on the Amazon portal link. If you shop on Amazon, better yet, you can do a right click on that portal link, copy the link and save it into your uh, bookmark toolbar. So that way you can click on that link. Each time you go to Amazon and do shopping, and it is a massive help to me, as I said before at the start of the episode, every order that someone makes, I get a tiny, tiny little bit of money. It's very, very small, but when a lot of you are doing it, it makes a big difference and it helps uh, self-fund this podcast. It's not for me to uh, put my feet up and uh, enjoy the high life, Uh, far from it. It's just to ensure that I can keep doing this podcast and keep bringing you guys lots of interesting conversations and uh, different things in the future, so It's all about um, giving back. Um, That's about it. Um, More episodes coming um, over the coming weeks. It's going to take a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things and get momentum, so I am not promising anything at this stage as far as how frequent they're going to be coming out, but I will eventually find my groove again and get back on track. So this is just uh, to, I guess, um, do a bit of a catch-up, get you guys uh, back on on board, and um, and I'll do my best to uh, get things moving as quickly as possible. But thank you so much, and uh, part two coming next week. See you guys. Bye.